The closest device that humankind has to look at the past is supposed to be the telescope, given how there are a million stars in the night sky and they take millions of years to reach us. That is until you realize that you're a cricket fan and you could have just watched the match in Indore. Why do I say that? It's because the Indore match took us nearly two decades back to the Mumbai test in 2004 and then jumped to the Pune test in 2017 along with a pit stop with the fields of the Bangalore test in 2017 as well. All of this happened in three days, so I would argue that the pitch, the dodgy batting and the subsequent bowling were all the actual time machines of our era. So which match did the indoor test resemble the most? Welcome to ESPN Cricket Info Stamp Mike, I'm your host Kaustub and we will get to the bottom of this very question as we review the third test of the Border Gavaskar Trophy. Joining me is Andrew McGlashan, who is filling in for Alex Malcolm, much like the change of guard in the Australian squad itself. So, Andrew, which test comes closest to talk about the indoor game? Uh, nice to be here. Uh, yes, it was a quick change of the guard. Best in rotation, you know, you've got to keep, keep an eye on the workloads these days with all the international cricket going on. Uh, which test match did it most? Uh, I didn't see much of the Mumbai game in 2004. Certainly, the, it did bring back memories of Pune in 2017, partly because... We had a fairly relative unheralded left-arm spinner from Australia taking a bag of wickets in Matt Kuhneman on the first day. Um, and then we sort of had a, a couple of innings from Australia, certainly Usman Kawaja in the first innings that sort of was heading towards the way of that Stephen Smith 100 back in 2017. And of course, it was a pretty dodgy pitch that, that even the gap between the teams basically in Australia sort of beat India at their own game. So... I think probably Pune 2017 is, is, is a good comparison. But of course, um, during, that, during the second day and the early part of the third day, um, there were frequent um, references to that Mumbai game. Uh, the broadcast was putting it up about every five minutes as India were trying to extend that, that, that narrow lead. And you did think it, it had a chance of going that way. I think for me, Pune, uh, but clearly there are comparisons uh, to Mumbai as well. India have been largely unchanged for the last two tests. Similarly, Karthik will return once again to talk about uh, the Border Gavaskar Trophy. So, which test did it resemble for you? You mentioned Bangalore and uh, Pujara's innings was kind of like that. India's lead was kind of like that. As in, Australia's lead was kind of like that. And India's attempt to kind of erase that deficit and build something of a target uh, was kind of like Bangalore. We had the Pujara innings almost halfway there. Shreyas Iyer kind of played like a halfway there innings, like the Rahani innings in Bangalore. Yeah, so it was kind of like that, but it didn't quite reach that level for India. This is going to be a hot take, but the big difference between the 2017 Bangalore test and the current test is the fact that India did not have KL Rahul. KL Rahul, remember, had scored 90 under 50 in that test because of which India ended up winning. But uh, more about that later. Getting into the actual test match at play, Ravi Shastri famously said right before the toss, before the series win began, that like he wants pitches to turn from the first ball. I'd argue this pitch had it turning from before the toss, the indoor pitch. So uh, th- there is a lot of uh, talk about the pitch whenever you play in India, sure. But uh, the indoor test was put in place hastily at the last moment because it was shifted from Dharamshala. Is it fair to say that the curator maybe did not have enough time to put together a decent competitive wicket uh, in Indore. It is just two weeks, right? Since the Dharamshala test, it was announced that the Dharamshala test is being moved to Indore and suddenly you had to now like listen to what the Indian team has to say, what BCCI has to say. And would you say uh, the pitch was a bit undercooked? It, yeah, it was. And uh, 
it feels like it's been longer because there's such a big gap between uh, Delhi and this one, but it, it's not really the uh, ground staff hasn't really had much time to uh, prepare a pitch in Indore. And uh, Vikram Rathore alluded to this as well in uh, one of in the press conference at the end of I think day one. Uh, yeah, I think India probably didn't want it to like turn that much uh, as as much as it did, but you know, you can't really like go into a, like prepare a pitch knowing how much it's going to turn and uh, how early. Yeah, you, you don't have a protractor and nobody sits there with like a protractor figuring out how much it's going to turn. Yeah, so when, when you, you when you decide that, okay, you want to prepare a turning pitch, you run the risk of uh, preparing a pitch that ends up like that. Uh, and which is what happened. So, yeah, I don't think India wanted something quite that uh, extreme, but it turned out that way. Like, Andrew, would you reckon this was like a good toss to lose for Stephen Smith, uh, considering that like you're putting India in, these are like kind of alien conditions, and uh, barring, say, the first 20 minutes where Rohit Sharma survived two scares and there was a decent counter-attacking cricket, uh, it was Australia's innings, I would say. From day one, like Australia was ahead. I I think it would be a step too far to say it was a good toss to lose. What's been interesting about this series is that all three tests have been won by the side that has lost the toss. Um, and actually, we were, we were speaking to Andrew McDonald, the Australia coach, this morning, and he was making the point um, about how he feels the toss is kind of irrelevant in this series, particularly in this indoor test match, uh, because conditions were so extreme when it started, perhaps less so in, in Nagpur. That was more a case of Australia batting poorly, I think, on that first day. Delhi was somewhere in between. Australia should probably have gone on and won that test match from the position they were in. Um, so, I, I put it this way, if Stephen Smith had won the toss, he wasn't going to stick India into bat. Um, put it that way. So, But but what it does do, it narrows, it narrows the margins between the side, like it did in, in Pune um, in, in 2017. Um, and as Kartik touched on there, it's kind of the it's the risk um, that India run by, by playing this this type of cricket now. What sort of first inning score would have made this a different game? Maybe you know, maybe only another 60 or 70 runs because if Australia had gone in facing a first innings of 175, something like that, suddenly the pressure is very different. So uh, bowling India out so cheaply um, on that first day was vital because um, as much as there was an expectation that when Australia went into bat, oh, look, India were just going to blow them away here and it's going to be even Stevens on first innings, the mentality when you're bowling with such a small total becomes very different. We, and we kind of saw a little window of that on that second evening in Delhi where India forced it too hard with the ball. And I think we had a little bit of an example of that when Australia started batting in this game. Um, and India got better, uh, particularly Ravindra Jadeja, who started... Uh, a bit poorly by his standards, clawed it back well. But it was such small margins in this test match. The bad half hour with the ball and Australia were 100 for one or thereabouts after that stand from Kawaja and Labashe, and they were always set for a lead then. India actually did well to claw it back. But it's a very different mindset when you're bowling with just 100 on the board, um, even in conditions that are so helpful because a couple of boundaries get away. You can't quite keep control of the scoring rate. And Australia batted far more sensibly than they did last week in Delhi as well. So the, the toss is an interesting one in this series because the results have gone against the team. I do think, particularly in Nagpur and in Indore, there were some poor first innings batting as well. Some of the Indian wickets in that first innings were down to the pitch. Some were, I think, batters being so aware of conditions, they were trying to force it quite early. And there's no argument to say that was the right way to play because 
a quick 60 or 70 on that pitch would probably have won the game. Uh, but it did come with a risk and Australia were able to take advantage of that and then, yeah, managed to get just enough lead to uh, to win the Test match. We did uh, speak about how the Indian lower order has been bailing out uh, India for the last two tests, right? Like, And the fact that they couldn't do it again is just the law of averages coming back to bite India, right? Considering you needed a top in the middle order to step up at some point. And the fact that they didn't again... I mean, I'm talking just about the first innings. And uh, it came down to the lower order and you can't expect like a 50 from Akshar Patel or uh, like a 40 or uh, another 50 from Ashwin in every single match. Like they, they are bowlers also. So is it, is it that the lower, you can't keep relying on the lower order to keep stepping up? Yeah, but I don't think it works that way when you, uh, I think India have batting depth and it's not, uh, it's, it's about like, they know that on these pitches that... Uh, no one's going to uh, score like 500 runs in a series, right? So they know that, you know, uh, they have batting depth and they hope that because of that depth, that in any given innings, one or two batters will make like 50s or 40s or whatever it needs, whatever they need to get a good total. The reason why the top order has not been scoring runs and the lower order has been scoring runs is... Uh, one of the reasons for that is that the new ball is generally like much harder to face, even on turning tracks, because it's harder. It uh, there's a more prominent seam, so it grips more, it bounces more. Because of that, lower order batting can be a little easier, also because the bowlers tire just that little bit more, and all of these factors go into it. So I don't think it's a case of like oh top orders batting terribly and the lower orders uh, batting well. I think they're all doing what they can and sometimes it happens that the lower order gets more runs. I thought it was quite interesting um, and Rohit was in quite a defensive frame of mind in the press conference last night, understandably so, but he made the point that to him it doesn't really matter where the runs come from, whether it's number one or number 11 getting the runs, in, particularly as he was talking again about these conditions, they know what they've asked for and they know it's going to bring with it a level of risk and a certain style of test cricket that's going to be needed to be played and whether this test match went too extreme is kind of only part of the point really all the pitches in this series have been tricky and I know there was a quote wasn't there from Virat back in round about 2015 was it where he said he'd he'll he'd give up a test average of 50 for result pitches so this is not something that as we know this isn't something that's just happened in the last year or so this is an era of how India wanted to play their test cricket at home and they because of that they formulated their team this way and they're very lucky that their three spinners are absolutely top order gun batters really as well I mean Axel Patel domestic cricket he bats five or six um and Ashwin could easily bat top six in a test match and obviously has batted three in this series which he's happy to tell anyone about and then Jadeja of course is batting five in this test match so it's also I think a coming together of an era that Indian cricket has I go back to when I started watching Test cricket, my first memories really of an India-England series are 92-3, when England were, were beaten 3-0 out here. And the three spin bowlers that India, of course, have it with them were Kumble, Raju and Chown. Now, I know Kumble could hold a bat, but Venkapati, Raju and Rajesh Chown were bowlers. Different era, I know. Bowlers weren't necessarily expected to hold the bat in the same way, but that was the era that India had. And in that era, you had your seam bowling all-rounders, Manoj Babarka, Kapil Dev, bowled two or three overs and then it was over to the spinners. So it's a little bit of a, 
a slight role reverse. And one of the things that makes this Indian team such a great test team is that so you've got these three spin bowling all-rounders and then you've got gun pace bowlers as well. We saw that even with the burst from Umesh Yadav of reverse swing on that second day. A terrific spell of pace bowling that will be forgotten in the whole melee uh, of what happened. And this test match has gone wrong for India, yes. And there may well be repercussions about it. Clearly, there are some top-order batters who are under a bit of pressure compared to others, and even Rohit said that again in his press conference. But I do think it's uh, India are playing a brand of cricket at home that they want to play and feel pretty comfortable playing. It comes with a risk, and it's kind of fallen flat for them this week. It may be completely different on Medabado. It may fall flat again, and if it does, maybe that will bring a change of thinking. My personal view is that they are doing themselves a slight disservice by the very extreme conditions, because they have got some great batters in this team. And I think we've seen them as well be able to beat teams on slightly less um, hostile services. Nagpur, I think, probably the best example of this series. So I think too much of a spotlight on India's top order would probably be a bit unfair in this series. And they're very fortunate this era. Um, They do have a team that can play the type of cricket they want to play in India. Yeah, and to add to that, like uh, they have, you know, one series on flatter kinds of Indian pitches like uh, South Africa 2019 and at that time it felt like that was the way India wanted to go. Traditional Indian pitch which would be like flat for the first two innings and then bring the spinners into play in a big way. But what also happened in that series was India won all three tosses and then when England came here and England the first test was in Chennai and the pitch was it started out really flat but England won that toss and like it deteriorated from say halfway into day two and uh, India were caught in like quite challenging conditions compared to what in England had faced. The toss just played a massive result, massive role in the result and since then India have sort of abandoned that thought of okay we you know we've got the team, we've got all bases covered, we've got batters, we've got fast bowlers, spinners who can do who can dominate any team on like in flat uh, conditions as well but when they realize that the toss can play such a big role they were like uh, let's take the toss out of the equation what are we good at that the other teams generally aren't good at uh, it's uh, spin bowling and the fact that these spin bowlers can also bat and you know turning pitches kind of maximize that strength I just have two points to make. I had just mentioned that it's going back to 2004, but the fact that you can refer it all the way back to 1992 proves that we don't need telescopes. The other thing is, uh, so is it that like this entire test, uh, I would say, uh, ecosystem is the wrong word, but the way we play test cricket in India is entirely dependent on the three uh, spin bowling all-rounders. Going by what you said, right? If we are good at bowling spin, and if we have uh, spin bowlers who can bat, then let's maximize that advantage, right? So in the, in that respect, I mean, it, it is it, it is following that script over the last three games, it, it, so as to speak. Like, and which is why the top order doesn't have a say. Yeah, so it's not so much about the top order, but like Mohamed Shami, Umesh Yadav have outstanding records in India, right? But the fact is that while they may be like brilliant fast bowlers in Indian conditions, like teams like England, Australia would come here with like really good pace attacks as well. So the contest there is much more even than usually is the case between India's spin attack and the overseas spin attack. In this case, they have Nathan Lyon who's bowling at his very best and they have two young spinners who've actually been really impressive as well. So that's another reason why Australia won in Indore, not just the 
pitch evening out, you know, like narrowing the gap between the teams. But the gap between the teams is fairly narrow to start with because Australia have a really good attack for the conditions as well. I think that's probably something that I wouldn't say it's taken India by surprise, but clearly there wasn't, there wasn't a lot known about Todd Murphy and Matt Kuhneman. Of course, Kuhneman wasn't even on the tour when it started, and they both played a very important role and settled well into in, into what they're doing. And I mean, it's a little bit... So on that 2017 tour, you had Nathan Lyon and Steve O'Keefe. Steve O'Keefe, a very fine left-arm spinner, um, should probably have played more test cricket than he did. But I think on this one, because... A lot of the focus coming into the tour was okay, Nathan Lyon, and then what's what's below. And there was even a good possibility that Todd Murphy wouldn't have started the series. I mean, if we go back even just two months, for example, a Sydney Test match against South Africa, if you'd been asked to put money on what Australia's attack was going to be for that first Test, knowing that Green was injured at that point, you'd probably have gone Ashton Agar, Nathan Lyon, Cummins and another quick, probably Scott Boland, as it, as, it, as it turned out to be. Now, of course, the Ashton Agar story took this twist, um, which Alex covered last week before he left the tour. And then, of course, you have the debate about can you field two off-spinners in the same team? Todd Murphy comes in, takes seven for on debut. Then then they go, they still want a left-arm spinner. They bring in Matt Kuhneman. Um, second test match take, takes a five-wicket haul. So not everything that's happened for Australia has happened by design. I won't call it an accidental success, but there's been quite a few elements of this, particularly this indoor test match. We might talk about it a bit later on in the chat, but Travis Head opening the batting, for example, another ex- another moment of things coming together in a way you wouldn't have expected them to come together. So um, I think that point about Australia's spin attack has probably over- overperformed from expectations in this series, and that's added the other twist on, meaning that when they got this pitch and indoor, they were actually quite well-placed to compete. So... Coming into the Austin attack, right, like Nathan Lyon bowled out of his skin. I think the Bangalore test from 2017 is the only other time he's got eight wickets in India. And this is, like, I would say this performance was better. He's got just one stock ball, right? And he keeps talking about it. Like, I don't have too many things up my arsenal. But speaks to his persistence in a way, considering that he doesn't get the conditions, the spin bowling friendly conditions at home, because of which he's not able to torment people. Whereas when he gets even slight advantage, he does really well. He is one of the greatest spin bowlers the game has produced. We're doing this podcast on the anniversary of the first anniversary of Shane Warne's passing last year. Nathan Lyon can sit as Australia's second best spin bowler behind Shane Warne. You can throw all the names in there as well. It's a debate, but he is he's on the verge of 500 test wickets. He has he has a tremendous record on those less responsive pitches back in Australia. In the last 12 months, he's helped bowl Australia to victory in Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and now India, taking five wickets in those matches that they won in in um, in Lahore and in Gaul and now in Indore. Um, he's had a lot of unfair criticism over his career. And yes, you're right, he does not have magic deliveries. He doesn't have a douceur. But I thought what was noticeable in this test match is how much he was beating the batters on both edges of the bat. There was a lovely delivery to get KS Barrett, I think in the second innings when he was bowled off stump. Clearly, he had a pitch to work with. Um, so he had the facilities and he made the most of, most of them. And he, he spoke himself very well, actually, after the second day when he took that eight for saying how he has learned to deal with the pressure of expectation of being a spin bowler in helpful conditions. That doesn't mean you're going to win the game for your team every time. And yes, he doesn't average 22-23 in Test cricket, but he does a lot of donkey work in Australia. He'll bowl spell after spell to allow the three quicks to rotate. And it'll be interesting to see actually how the latter part of 
Nathan's career develops now that Australia have Cameron Green in in the side and perhaps they have another bowler to, to sort of share that holding workload, particularly back in Australia. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a, a tremendous another career-defining day uh, for Nathan Lyon. Um, but I, I draw comparisons partly because, I guess, the, the, the team I covered mostly before I moved to Australia, I draw a little bit of, of, of the James Anderson debate sometimes in terms of, like, conditions. He can only do it when it's cloudy. And the numbers just prove that that is complete rubbish. It's just not... It's just not correct. He is he is a great bowler, as Nathan Lyon is a great bowler, different to some of the other spinners that we see. So, I mean, a, a completely fully earned haul bat on, on, on the second day. And just to go back to your Bangalore comparison that you started the question off from, and I know winning and losing doesn't have to qualify everything when we trust performances, but this was a performance in victory and a very special victory for Australia. Um, so that probably nudges it ahead of that Bangalore performance uh, purely on that level. Earlier in the series, I wrote a piece saying, you know, Lion hasn't evolved as much as R. Ashwin has over his career. And uh, the criticism that I made there was that he, the product of the conditions he's grown up in, right? And bounce is the biggest thing on Australian pitches that a spinner can use. And there's probably no one better in the world at using bounce to his advantage than Nathan Lyon. I'd always felt that he's uh, a guy who thrives when you know bad pad catches and like slip catches that becomes the dominant mode of dismissal on a pitch uh, but when there isn't so much bounce and you have to look for bold and lbw he's perhaps not that good but what he's shown in this series especially like he's bowled a lot most of his overs from round the wicket to the right hand batters and that's brought the stumps into play so much more so he's a threat got the same threat of like uh getting a catch at short leg or at slip but far more uh, of a threat of, you know, getting batters bold in LBW. And he's been at the stumps, he's been relentless. And you speak about, like, you know, not having too many toys. I think that's a little overrated in Test cricket. You have, like, an off-spinner who really, like, gives the ball a rip. It's going to, like, drift in the air. It's going to dip on the batter. And there's going to be a little bit of natural variation sometimes. Every ball is a really hard ball to face. And when that's the case, you don't need, like, even Ashwin doesn't bowl, like, he might bowl one carom ball in an entire spell. That That's it. Otherwise, he's doing exactly what Lion does. Maybe their seam positions might be different. Maybe their lengths might be slightly different, whatever. But they're essentially off-spinners bowling a lot of off-breaks and getting a lot of wickets with that. So, yeah, and Lion has just bowled beautifully right through the series and... Uh, as far as, as a, an entire series in India is concerned, I think this is his best run. Even though he did take quite a few wickets in 2017 as well. Not to overanalyze, right? Considering, uh, I like, I would say almost every wicket that Lion took was well set up. And uh, like, you know how they say the, the you have to wait till there's a, your name is on the ball, right? And then that's the one that will get you. Uh, but is there anything that can be said about the short selection from the Indian batting? So we have a lot of criticism from former grades saying, oh, no, that shot was not on. Or why is Kohli playing on the back foot or like whatever, like not to get into the individual batters choosing the wrong shots. But is there anything that the Indian batting could have done differently? When something goes wrong, it looks bad, right? And on a pitch like that, against bowling like that, things can go wrong, whatever you do. Maybe the Shubman Gill shot in the second innings. I felt that just came out of the blue and he didn't look in that much trouble until then. And 
he ended up going across the line i don't know if the intention was to go across the line or whether he got beaten in the flight and therefore had ended up having to go across the line that looked a little bad i thought mohammad siraj shot the last shot india played in that game was like come on you have akshar patel at the other end just try to keep those three balls out if you you know get out okay the, you tried but that that was fairly poor kohli was an interesting one because in the first innings he looked so good and when he went on the back foot he was looking to play everything with a straight bat and in the second innings twice he was beaten by the ball keeping low when he tried to pull so that was an interesting one and yeah maybe you can criticize that choice of shot it it, it can just happen on these kind of pitches so you wouldn't want to be too harsh on the batters either aya was probably 20 minutes away from being a hero for india in that innings the way he was playing uh, after tea on that second day that had rattled australia uh, matt kuhneman lost his length and this was not going to be a test match defined by a at that point defined by a century that it was going to be defined by a a runnable 60 or, or or something along those lines and kind of he took it he, he took a brave approach i in that in that second innings and kind of and and it was a and like i said i know he felt a mitchell stark in the end but it was i think that sort of shows the fine line if if that had gone on for another 20 minutes india's lead was going to be 60 70 with five wickets in hand and suddenly you were looking at a a target of 150 and then australia's chasing the second innings when they're 13 for 1 off 10 overs looks very different when you're chasing 150 instead of 70 odd so it was such a tough game for for batters on this one and like an example from the australia camp kind of and again andrew mcdonald spoke about it today look i mean it is that unquantifiable i know i know we have a look index and we try and qualify these things these days but manus is bowled off a no ball and that would have been 14 for 2 and suddenly 109 is looking a bit more daunting and the example the other example is sort of the travis hednicks ashwin's perfect off break in delhi and australia lose 8 for 28 he managed to keep out a grubber in the second innings yesterday which would have made it 6 for 2 i still think australia would have won but it would have been 6 for 2 and a bit more pressure goes on and um, obviously batting is always a fine line between success and failure it, it it's the game it's why batters fail more than they succeed in the game uh, but this pitch that we've had this week in indoor it made it such a such a fraught experience which is why i think it tipped it too far one way i don't mind a lively pitch but i think this is why it went too far one way it became a lottery to go back to the indian batters for some of them clearly there if you want to call it slumps in form go back a longer than just this series i do think probably to to criticize based solely on this game would be harsh for any of the batters because i mean there were deliveries shooting over the batter's shoulder going along by the ankles the next ball you you had to sort of be brave and and it was interesting actually rohit even suggested that maybe they weren't brave enough in in that first thing it was a bit of a it felt a bit like a brendan mccullum comment about england not going hard enough when they lost the test match to south africa um last year uh, but yeah batting was fought with such risk in this game that i think it's hard to sort of judge what is a success and failure on a surface like this uh, when you're talking about fine margins like how much does captaincy come into play because like you want to talk about steven smith uh now leading the side now for the next two tests or sorry for the next test as well uh he didn't like, miss a single beat from the way i when i was watching the game right like there was good feels there was a change of bowling when it seemed like india was running away with the game amazing catch i would argue that was the catch that kind of 
like if it was a game of fine margins that is where australia managed to get their nose ahead until then there was like a good push and pull between both sides and it's that catch of lion for uh, to take away pujara is what turned the game so how would you rate his return to captaincy i know he captain previously as well in the uh, home the summer season for australia but uh, how how would you judge the captaincy for steve smith in this test yeah i mean th- th- those are the two were yeah the two adelaide tests of the last two years so this is the third time smith has stood in um since cummins became captain it was an outstanding i thought it was an outstanding game in the field from from Stephen Smith, he, he he was a very good captain. Stephen Smith, he the way he thought about the game, so clearly things unravelled for him from that, and and this is now Pat Cummins' team, and clearly the situation with Pat is is hugely unfortunate and and tragic, and there's there's a definite feel in the Australian camp that they are respecting that. Basically, they're respecting this is is Pat's team, but yes, yeah, certainly I think it was it was perhaps helpful for Australia in this game that they had. Stephen Smith as captain because in the field that's what he had to think about now we don't I don't think Pat Cummins would have bowled much in this test match if he had been captain but yes I do think Smith brought out his A game uh, as captain um, and I'll throw it to Kartik in a minute because I know he watched the battle with Pajara and Lyon in the second innings very closely and that I guess encapsulated some of the, the tactics but I think it, on a more broader point it's in a sense credit to Australia that they've got this fairly seamless setup at the moment I mean there are a number of sides that they'd had to make a, a mid-series capacity change when you're 2-0 down having just been rumbled in a session in a test match that think the wheels could have just come off this trip and they haven't um, and that's a credit I think to the leadership structure that Australia have formed in this team, um, yeah, Smith won't be back as full-time captain. It's Pat. It's Pat Cummins' team for as long as it's going to be Pat Cummins' team. It might not be a particularly long captaincy tenure because he is a, a fast bowler. And it is interesting to debate that this was the one potential scenario where having Pat Cummins as captain was going to create some interesting dynamics in the team because there were going to be occasions when you're only going to play one specialist fast bowler. If Pat had still been here for this test, then Mitchell Stark wouldn't have played I don't think because Cam Green was fit again but um, yeah I mean Smith I thought was excellent but yeah I mean Carter you can sort of perhaps delve a little bit more into that little that little second day battle where he engineered uh, Pajara's downfall when you have a bowler who's bowling with that kind of control it gives you those sorts of options so I mean I don't know if it was Lyon's plan or Smith's plan I think it must have been Smith's plan because he likes doing these things but uh, they went from having a 6-3 leg side field to having a 7-2 leg side field, which is seven fielders on the leg side. And Pujara until then had been getting a lot of runs through like little uh, flicks for one and two through the leg side. And that stopped. That stopped. And Pujara's innings, which had begun like, you know, a really positive and like bright, like quick scoring innings, it kind of came to a bit of a standstill. And Pujara being Pujara, he's okay with that. Like, he, even if like uh, wickets are falling at the other end as long as he's got someone who can bat to a, a reasonable degree at the other end he'll continue playing like that so Akshay Patel was there at the other end uh, when he got out so even then he was just batting normally but like the runs kind of you know dried dried down after Shreya Sayer's dismissal and that you know put Australia firmly in control after that short passage where it looked like India had rested it away from them um, so that was like a really good bit of like 
you know a bowler and a captain coming together and like having a plan that changes the game and it could have gone on for a little longer and pujara wasn't going to change his game too much uh, he tried just another flick around the corner which he'd been doing right through the innings and he happened to like you know not hit it out of the middle and it went finer than he wanted and there was smith throwing himself to his right like a purely like i don't know what his reaction time must have been but it was one of the one of those really like match defining catches it was just brilliant and uh, had like a huge impact on the game as well so uh, speaking of captaincy itself uh, would uh, rohit sharma before the match began right he uh, was asked in the presser about uh, what kind of pitches to expect in ahmedabad and uh, i get that he was answering a very specific question right it's not like he was alluding to something right like these it's how these pressers go like you are asked a question and you decide to either answer or you dilly dally about and he mentioned that a possibility of a green top is there in amdabad if uh, india managed to go up 3-1 right even if you give him the benefit of the doubt which i am given that there was a 10 day break here like would did some form of complacency set in in the in the indian setup or uh, is this ag- like again like as you have discussed your game of like just fine margins and like one or two moments here and there is how uh, the match swung away from india i wouldn't say anything about complacency in the indian camp but even if they had that plan you know to try something like that if they won in indore and prepare a grassy pitch in ahmedabad i think the prudent thing for rohit to have said at that point was like uh, i don't know we'll see when this match is done i don't think you know what someone says at a press conference has any bearing on what happens in the match later people are going to say oh they were too cocky and like uh, people are going to talk about like uh, complacency and things like that so the ideal thing to do would have been for him to just say no we don't we'll think about that when we get to ahmedabad and uh, left no room for that kind of thing. I did sense shortly after that answer that he had sort of regretted saying it perhaps because there was a later answer a follow up about the WTC and he, he at that point he was then going oh I don't really want to talk about it we aren't there yet. So sometimes you can sometimes you can be sat on these things. And I I also I also admired Rowett's honesty. It was a terrific line to throw out there on the day before uh, a test match and we bemoan when players don't say anything. So I'm not I'm certainly not one to criticize when they say something even if it backfires on them. Um but I did get the sense of that moment that Rohit was going, "Mm, wish I probably wish I hadn't done that." I think he sensed about the way that would go. And look, these things often have a way of playing out, don't they? That everyone's now having a bit of a chuckle, certainly should we say on the Australian side of this debate about, "Oh, so I mean there was a there's a question in the in the press conference last night sort of basically are oh, so Rohit are we still going to get a green seamer in our medabad so i look i i think it's quite good fun really i mean because it, like i say we we can bemoan when these things were a bit dull or, or cliched so i think kartik mentioned it's one thing saying let's have a green seamer in our medabad it's going to be 38 degrees there and of all the places to ask for a green seamer as well it would have been an odd fairly odd thing anyway and it was not going to bear much comparison to what they're going to get at the oval in june anyway so yeah a kind of a nice fun story for a few days and no doubt it'll rumble on i think in the lead into our medabad but yeah don't think we're getting a green seamer anymore yeah, so in 2008 i don't think india requested it but it just so happened that uh, there was a green top in ahmedabad and south africa blew india away for 100 odd uh, on day 1 and then 
Ahmedabad being like Ahmedabad and the weather being what it is, it just flattened out completely. And uh, I think Callis and De Villiers and all these people made big hundreds. And De Villiers even said later in a an interview with Munga that that was where he uh, discovered this soft hands, this way of defending with soft hands that made him, you know, an even better batter. You can produce a green top in Ahmedabad, but it's fraught with risk. Also, isn't the oval more uh, friendly towards spinners in any case? Not in June. I mean, it, it might still be snowing <laughs> in June. It's not not quite. I, I am taking this as it's uh, like the World uh, Test Championship trophy is going to be shared. That's what the takeaway from this is. <laughs> it's still very early in the English um, Test season there. So, um, but you're not you're unlikely to get a green seamer at the oval either I mean you you should get decent pace and carry but I mean I don't think it's going to be a lavish green green top there anyway probably quite a traditional English type wicket so I think it's all a bit of a it's a moot point now anyway I think but I think whatever they'd have done they wouldn't have replicated those those conditions um, which is again not a debate for now but kind of shows how tricky it is to, to prepare for this one-off final particularly when it comes so hot off the heels of the IPL. So, I mean, that's going to be a challenge for whoever joins Australia in the final. Obviously, still most likely to be India. And it'll be interesting to see how Australia prepare for it as well, albeit the conditions probably won't be as foreign to them. I think it's been a good good story for a week, but um, I don't think it's going to have a huge bearing on the WTC final. So, like, just to wrap it up, right, uh, I have just one question. Is 2-2 on? And Karthik has been very, very diplomatic for the last two podcasts uh, like by not uh, giving a proper prediction although he did say that Kohli will get 158 so I will give him that instead of all of that will we see Ravindra Jadeja bowl three no balls and give Manus Labrishan three chances yeah I'm going to go with Australia going to level this because and it was a point that Kartik made earlier in the chat that there is not a lot between these teams anyway they are actually closely matched teams it's not inconceivable that this would have been 2-1 to Australia this series if Delhi had Almost, just, it's an odd thing to say because, of course, it played out the way it did. But a, a sensible session of batting in Delhi, there, and this could be two-one to Australia, and these conversations are are completely the other way around. So, yeah, I think I think Australia will actually level it two-two. Uh, yeah, don't know how long the Test match is going to last, but <laughs> it'll be fascinating to see. But yeah, I'm going to go two-two, not just because my Australian residency has just come through while I've been here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say two-two as well. It's going to happen and I think it's not so much like a momentum thing but it's like Lion has just like found incredible rhythm and Murphy had bowled really well I thought too in uh, that second innings where uh, he's going at a run and over. They've all kind of found their rhythm at just the right time whereas it felt like Ashwin and Jadeja kind of lost a bit of theirs uh, in Indore over both innings and Akshar has not bowled that much and has not looked as much of a threat as the other two uh, so far in this series. So, India will have to kind of up their game in Ahmedabad, whereas Australia have to kind of play the way they played in Indore. 2-2 is a possibility. I'm going to go with 3-1. So, (laughs) with that... That's a wrap on the third test. Uh, thank you so much, Andrew and Karthik, for being a part of it. And uh, we'll see how the predictions come true in a week or so or in 10 days or so. So until next time, uh, thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Bye.